So with that, um, I'm going to just encourage you to open up to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's one of the last books of the Bible in the New Testament. And we're going to be starting at verse 1, and we're going to be going to actually verse 9. Um, and as you're turning there, or you're looking there on your phones, I just want to give you a, a, a brief story. So I want to take you back to youth camp, right? Somebody, how many? Can you raise your hand if you attended youth camp this year? Wonderful. Parents included, right? Yeah, you guys are included. Um, so some of you may not have been at youth camp, and that's fine, right? Um you may have heard about it. We made announcements over the course of the summer. And even if you hadn't gone there, you might be familiar with attending a summer camp or being a part of some type of camp. Um, either way, one of the biggest parts of youth camp, um, which is something I became very familiar with, is the the tenting. Um, tenting, right? And so I, I found this picture. Um, this is like the mega super tent. Um from a youth camp picture that I found in 2013. I was not at this youth camp, but I thought this tent looked incredible and amazing. I called it the tent mansion. Um, <laughs> because when Mr. Prouse and I were actually at youth camp, it was about half this size, and uh, it was, it, there were like three or four people in that. Um, so this is an amazing you know, spectacle. Um, so if you're anything like me when it comes to tenting, um, you know, you can get really excited, right? Uh, it first starts with the actual formation of the tent. You know, you get the poles together, make sure everything's aligned. Maybe you put stakes in so that uh, nothing blows away. And if you're really prepared, you bring a rain fly, unless, of course, it looks like that, and it's rain flied like, well, yeah, it's there, but it's like kind of almost built in. Um, I remember one year someone put a tarp and a rain. It was crazy. Uh, I'm not good at that. People did it for me. Um, and so once you have the tent set up, right, you guys bring the snacks to share, and, um, you know, maybe you're the type of tent that talked to the long hours of the night and Mr. Lillingdahl had to check in with you for security to make sure you were going to bed because you were laughing too much. Um, and it, honestly, it really is enjoyable. I, I would say even Mr. Prouse, when we were, uh, we were tenting for those first couple of nights, we were talking to the late hours about music and all types of things. But then you start feeling that, that pull. It's starting to get hotter. And it's it's wetter outside, and it's gross. Uh, the bugs and mosquitoes they start they start biting a little bit more. Um, the snacks out, you know, the snacks run out eventually. Uh, and unless you shower at youth camp, the uh, the stench becomes a little bit more rank <laughs> and stinkier, right? Especially uh, the feet area, right? Um, because you know, you guys who wear the same shoes, they get soaked, and it starts smelling like super feet, and it's it just it starts to hurt your nostrils, uh, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the main reason why people, I think, I personally believe, find camping to be exciting is because it's, it's temporary, right? You know that at the end, you're not home. You will eventually be home, okay? And after a while, we say things like, you know, I can't wait to go home. You love youth camp, but like, man, like my back hurts. I remember that first year I was at youth camp. My back was killing me. And I started wondering, I was like, is it just because I'm getting older? Or is it because of the fact that I'm sleeping on a rock that's underneath me? Probably was a little bit of both, but... Um, and then we get back home and we, we say, you know, there's no place like home. And it's great. Um, now, within First Peter, uh, there's a very similar scenario, minus the stinky feet. Um, we see Peter within this letter um, writing to a group of people who have been on earth 
that God created, and yet at the same time, they are longing for home, their true home. Um, but the comfort of this home in particular is not one that's filled with mere physical comforts, right? Maybe you look forward to youth camp after you're done, to your bed, right? Uh, to, to running water that's available and not coming through a jug or through some random device that holds water with sinks that only you know, have cold water. Electricity is nice. Um, this, this home that Peter is pointing these people to is filled with the presence of the one true God. Um, whose right hand has pleasures forevermore. And so this home is eternity, not just creation, but with the creator of all things. And so as we read First uh, Peter, the first nine verses, just have that kind of focus, right? That, that, that Peter is trying to take their gaze from what's here to up here. I believe that a lot of scripture does that, but for good reason, because so much of this world can grip us to the point where we feel like there's no end, that there never will be home. Um, but he assures us, according to the word, that there will be a day where there is relief. So let's, let's read God's word together, starting at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Let me just pray quick. God, thank you so much for First Peter. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and allow it to change us, um, that we would continue to love you more because of it, and that our eyes would continually be pointed upwards, heavenly word, um, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, we're just going to touch on uh, three points today when going into these nine verses. Um, and so the big truth that we're going to kind of capture within this, within this is this, that as people not of this world, we have hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? And the three main points that are kind of broken up, you can kind of see them here, is 
Sovereign Exiles, Living Hope, Genuine Faith. We're going to kind of, again, we're just going to unpack this. So if you're taking notes, feel free to follow along. Um, now within the first verse, and I, lo- I actually, I think this is wonderful when it comes to uh, having an opportunity to preach, is because Peter does such a wonderful job of providing context to the letter before he even gets started. And within the first verse, um, as we mentioned before, this letter is written by the Apostle Peter. Okay, And again, for those who are familiar enough with the Bible, this Peter, um, the Apostle, is one who is sent out. That's what the Apostle means. And obviously the question that is begged, right, is who sent him? And that is uh, the resurrected Jesus Christ whom Peter saw. Um, he, he walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry for three years before ultimately um, he was crucified, but then raised from the dead. And even after denying him multiple times, um, he was restored and was commissioned by God to be one of the, um, the leaders of the early church. And so here we have uh, someone who has experienced firsthand the grace of Christ given to him. And we also have an audience, right? It's important to recognize it, right? Remember, when we're looking at books of the Bible, that things aren't just written uh, randomly. They're written to uh, often to groups of people. And the audience, as we see within also verse 1, is what uh, Peter refers to as these elect exiles of the dispersion. And these are most likely uh, Gentile Christians who are scattered abroad in many regions. Uh, and it says right there in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, uh, Asia and Bithynia, and so these um, these uh, these locations um, are all Roman provinces. Okay, and so you can kind of see them all highlighted in red here, um, and obviously it's kind of next again across modern day uh, Italy and Sicily, and um, all these are the locations in which uh, Peter's referring to. And most scholars believe that the date of this letter was somewhere within the 80s, 60s, right? Um, particularly maybe in 8062 or 63. Um, and so this is less than 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, just, a, just a point of um, uh, a helpful point, teens, right? Um, many times when, when, when the Bible is under question, people say, well, how could you trust something like that, right? Like it's, it's so ancient, um, well, when things were written, um, they weren't written hundreds and hundreds of years after they happened. Um, this is written 30 years after after they saw Jesus. So people who are reading this in these areas would be able to tell, no, that's that's phony. That's, that didn't happen. I, I would have seen that. Or I, I saw that. I, I, I've known about this before. We're not talking about a two, three, four, five generations that have passed since Jesus has been on the earth, right? It's, it's 30 years. That's not even that long. Um, and so... People reading this who might even have saw Jesus could verify this writing. And this is true of, of, of all the, the New Testament writings. And so as Peter continues to describe this group of people uh, of elect exiles, he highlights something that's really important here. So if you look at that in verse 2 with me again, he begins by talking about this idea of the foreknowledge of God the Father. He, he's just highlighting God as this awesome savior and the foreknowledge of god is referring to god knowing everything before it happens he refers to also the sanctification of the spirit 
And the sanctification, we talked a little bit about that in a couple like series ago is about like being made more like Jesus to be made holy, more like Jesus. And it says for the obedience to Christ. And again, this obedience to Christ could be referring to the initial conversion of a believer or just the continual call to obey. And finally, he kind of tops it off with the sprinkling of his blood. And, and this is referring to where the believers, a believer's sin is atoned for. Um, their sin is washed away. And so here we have, I mean, <laughs> we could have just stopped right there if we wanted to. And that could have been in, in itself a sermon. Um, just referring to the many facets of what God has done for his people. But I think that's really important to note, um, teens, right? Um, understanding that um, theology and understanding of who God is leads to doxology, which is a worshiping of God. And so understanding that gives us great joy. And we see then this continues as Peter goes into verse 3. Now, I would ask you this one question, teens, in regards to many of the things that are talked about here in, in First Peter, right? Just verse 2. Um, Peter's trying to encourage these believers. Um, but, and there's some great truths. But let's just even just kind of camp out when it comes to God's foreknowledge, right? Um, do you believe truly that God knows your life from beginning to end. Do you really believe that? Um, as the one song says from life's curse, first cry to final breath, um, that Jesus commands my destiny. Um, and I would say that if you're anything like me, you can believe that God is in control of portions of your life, right? You know, uh, but not all. Like I remember when I was saved at a very young age, um, I was tempted to believe that because I got older and became more independent that God was allowing me to kind of do my own thing now because he took care of that work and everything after that's kind of like me plus God, right? Like it's me plus God and, and well, I'm taking kind of the more of the brunt of the load. He's kind of just letting me do these things. And I almost associated my independence as a teenager as independence from God. And when things are well, he's close, but when things are rough, he's probably far and that's kind of how I felt often, especially when I felt my own indwelling sin. I felt like God was just very distant, okay? And God didn't actually know what was going to happen with the rest of my life. He was just, in some way, just waiting it out to get me. And I realized that that was false. Um, Psalm 94, 91.4 says, and this is something that was quoted by Mr. Edder on Sunday, that he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And so, whether I, I want to acknowledge it or not, God is with me. God is, God is, has done great things for me. He's on my side. He is not against me. And I think it's important that we realize that, 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 that the intentionality of Peter to mention this and kind of front load truth at the beginning just gives reason for rejoicing. So if that wasn't encouraging enough, right? If that's not encouraging enough, he then starts to get like this like hammer. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's just a, a hammering of truth. Okay. So let's look at, at point two. Now I'm going to ask for us to actually read this together 
And the reason why is because if you remember, um, this is actually the memory verse that I put on uh, the bookmarks that we handed at the Crossfire kickoff party. And if you don't have one of those, come see me. I do have them. I think I left them actually at my house, but I will get them to you. Um, but First Peter 1, 3 through 5. I've actually been trying to memorize this um, at work because I have it on my, I still have it on my reformed uh, uh, cross uh, uh, youth camp bottle. It's First Peter one three. Okay, so let's let's read this together. Okay, let's read this again together. Okay, so I'll start us off. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. So within these these three verses, um, I, I, know, I, I, just, I couldn't help but think of like a billboard that Peter is trying to put up of God's promises and power, particularly related to the resurrection of Jesus. And I think, honestly, if these, these verses could be framed in light, it would be very much appropriate. It would, it would make perfect sense, right? And so as I was reading this section, I just couldn't help but think of, of two words. And this is obviously kind of what formed the point for number two, but that of life and hope, right? So just look back with me in verse three, okay? Life and hope, okay? This language he uses in verse three, first is born again. Then we see, obviously, a living hope, and we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Verse 4, we see an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then finally, in verse 5, we see guarded through faith for a salvation. And so, if you just kind of parse everything out, you just start to kind of see these themes of there's life and hope found in Christ. And the tone of this section, I really firmly believe that that is meant to fix our eyes upward to God with joy. Um, now, let's just talk about joy for a second, right? Um, so Mrs. Serene and I, um, we have our, our little baby, uh, two months. Um, he's, this is what he looks like, just in case you didn't want to know what he's looking like. I'm going to guarantee without looking at you that majority of you smiled when you saw him. Um, because I do too, right? Um, when, 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 I, um, when we first saw Ezra be born, it's just this overwhelming. And parents, I know you can easily relate to even just remembering where you were when uh, each of your children were born and the joy that you got to have when seeing them. Um, it just makes you smile from ear to ear. Um, it's just almost a, it's an impulse reaction. It's, a, it's, and when we're in public more recently, uh, with Ezra, we have encountered complete strangers that will come up to us. And again, parents, you probably can relate to this, either doing one of a few different things, either staring, staring and smiling, staring and getting very close and wanting to touch, uh, Ezra. And I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. Like, if it was just me by myself, you wouldn't be doing this. But for some reason, there's a baby here, and you're, I don't know why you're doing this. Um, but why is that, right? Why, what's, the, what's the reason why someone wants to, you know, be so close to this child? And I, I believe it's because they understand that there is 
a, a, a super amount of joy in witnessing this precious life, this, this, this new life in the form of a baby. You know, I don't think I've met anyone, and I could be wrong, that has ever looked at a newborn baby and just been like, can we just like, can we get the baby out of here, please? Can we, can we, can we move on? Like, I'm hungry. Like, can you guys stop? Like, ugh, so annoying. You know, just yawned in pure boredom. Right? It just doesn't happen. Um, yeah, for some reason, and I think this is a point that I felt even myself being convicted over, we can often look at the gospel in this kind of boredom way. Um, instead of viewing the gospel as something that offers life and hope that Peter is trying to have these people, these these group of elect exiles see, we can often meet the gospel kind of like a thumbs up. And I don't know if you, I, I don't, I've never met someone literally look at a newborn and be like, mm, that's nice. And walk, like walk away. That's just, it's awkward. Like why? It's, it's wonderful to look at. And even if you're not a kid person, most people are, are at least courteous enough to give a smile. But we often kind of treat the gospel like that. Like, you know, we have this mental understanding of things, um, and then we like to move on to other things when we have something that's willing to offer us pure joy right in that moment. And we say things to ourselves, maybe not out loud, that, yeah, yeah, again, I, I, know, I'm, I know I'm a born-again Christian, right? You know, because of the Holy Spirit regenerating me. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus lived a perfect life. I know, I, I know that already. I know that he died for my sins. I know he rose from the dead. Yeah, I know I'm going to be with God in heaven one day. I've been saved from hell, but man, can we, can we move on from this, this gospel already? Like, I just need something, I just need something more. Like this is, it's, it's, it's all fun and good. My parents have told me this a bunch of times, but I need like some happiness for this life. Mom, dad, don't you understand that I need something more? How about relief from, from pain in this life, God? How about happiness for this life, God? I know that you've given me your son, but it just seems like I'm, I'm just not satisfied. I mean, I don't know if you can relate to me in this. Um, this idea, teens, and, and and I think if you haven't experienced this already, I think you I think you will, right? That there's an overfamiliarity that can breed apathy, right? It's, I'm so familiar with it. I think I have it down pat, um, so I just kind of feel very indifferent towards it even though that is the very truth and only hope that we have in this life and for the next, right? Like, how does it make sense for me to be so enthralled with a two-month-old child, okay? This two-month-old child is not going to save my soul ever. No, There's no piece of creation that will ever be able to do what Christ has done for me. And yet we can be so caught up with good things, right? Right? These are good things that God has given us good gifts that God gives us, but they are not God. They are meant to point us to God, right? Like if the joy that we receive for seeing a newborn baby, that is a fraction. It's a shadow of the truest, most pure, wonderful joy we can experience in God. And so if we're settling for just mere creation, I don't believe that we're fully grasping what Peter is trying to get in these people. And I think that in the end, teens, we have to resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified as the first and most important thing that we treasure 
in life. In this first section, Peter is kind of laying these bricks of, of truth for believers to stand upon. And the one of the main truths is that Jesus is alive. And in the context of this passage, this is so vital because what we're going to see within the rest of the section that Peter is pointing at the fact that these people are going through a lot of different trials and, and, and they need something to hold on to. We can have hope beyond this fallen life that's filled with sin, it's filled with despair. We can look to something forward, an inheritance that's in heaven that can never be taken away, right? An inheritance that can never be taken away. It says here in the scriptures that this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, right? Now, maybe many of you think of a, a good inheritance as, you know, right? Like, oh man, you know, I just can't wait till my sister, brother, they move off to college and I get their room. That's my inheritance, you know? Or maybe you're the type of person, you're about to get your license, you got your permit, and then your parents are about to give you your car. It doesn't matter if it's a not-so-good car, it's a car. It has four wheels and it goes from point A to point B, right? I had my, my mom's 1998 Ford Escort wagon, okay? And I rocked that wagon. I don't care if it was a wagon and I, it was wonderful, okay? Roll down the windows, okay? No Bluetooth, none of that. It was wonderful, or maybe, um, you know, maybe it's a hand-me-down clothes from your siblings. That was a huge thing for me. Or, or a phone, right? Oh, man, like I can't wait for this to be inherited so I can inherit this, right? But guys, when it comes down to it, right, if we're, if we're honest, right, none of these things that you hope to inherit from someone, they won't last forever, right? The clothes, you're going to grow out of them. They're going to rip. They're going to tear. Your phone, it's going to die eventually. Your car, it's going to die eventually. Like all these things, these creative things, they're good things, guys. But Peter is pointing at something that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's meant to point us to something greater than our circumstances. This, this fact that we've been born again for those who repented and put their faith in Jesus to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. And as sure as Christ is living, that inheritance can't be taken away. And so I would just continue to encourage you, right, as we, as we think about what it means to focus on our living hope, there really is only one true living hope, Right? Everything else is a temporary hope. It's a temporary fix. We're not going to get exactly what we want from it. Because in the end, when we place our faith in temporary objects, we, we just have temporary hope. And placing our faith in perishable objects gives us perishable hope. I would, um, I would encourage you even to ask people that question, right? Or, or even just make observations. What do you think people put their hope in? It's often a lot of times what they people spend their most time with, right? Maybe, uh, again, in society you see that it's people with, with their big careers and their, and their money and, and their possessions, right? We see that all the time in our culture. It's fleeting, right? It's fleeting. There's no guarantee that we're going to make it past tomorrow. And all those things that we stored up, who's, who's going to take care of them when we leave? Who's going to take care of them? We're not. <laughs> and so the only thing that matters is whether we have placed our faith in the only living hope that lives, which is Jesus Christ. Um, so that brings us to the, the final point, um, which is genuine faith, right? So 
Teens, I want to be faithful to say this, and I think this would be, I would be doing a disservice to the gospel um, by moving for, further without touching on this when it, came to, when it comes to genuine faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Mr. Etter and I, uh, and your parents, we can keep placing the gospel before you, right? We can keep placing the resurrected Jesus before you, keep appealing towards you, keep, keep sharing with you the testimony of what God has done in our hearts, um, over the many years of our lives. But at the end of the day, right, if you don't personally repent and put your faith in him and his finished work on the cross, it's a moot point, right? It's a moot point. We, we can keep doing this. And the, but, the, but the purpose in the end for why we're even here at Crossfire, for why Christ's community exists, for why your parents are here with you and then investing in you is ultimately so that your soul can be secure. That's it. That's at the end of the day. Okay? I, I, I know for a fact that the greatest hope that your parents have for you is not so that you get a great education than to get a great job and have a great family. That's secondary. That's secondary, right? We read in scripture, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world, lose his soul? Right? It's not even guaranteed that you're going to get to that age, right? It's not guaranteed you're going to get to do those things. I'm, no, I'm sure they would love to see you do those things. My parents are marveling at the fact that we have this beautiful child. But I, t- I, I tell you one thing. My parents are more concerned with where my soul is in relation to God than the fact that I am having uh, many children and I have a great job and a great wife and I have a new house and a car. Like that stuff, it's just going to it's gonna peter out eventually. It's just it's going to go. And so... Um, so when I was thinking about this idea of genuine faith, I, I thought about this, um, uh, another story. So I had a, I have a friend, uh, one of my best friends, his name's Chris. He went skydiving for the first time, uh, and his previous two times were canceled because of weather. But on September 24th, just a, uh, not too long ago, Chris finally made his way onto uh, the plane and took the plunge. Now, I don't know if any, has anybody actually gone skydiving here before? Has anybody? Anybody skydiving? No? Okay. All right. Fine. Now, I'm, I'm personally, I never have been skydiving, and I'm no skydive expert. Um, I probably don't think I ever will skydive. But I can guarantee, without having talked to Chris, and he's one of my best friends, so I could have asked him this straight, and we could have a really long conversation, but it would have been pointless. But I can almost guarantee that the instructor offered Chris, and in some ways demanded without saying it, that Chris put on certain safety equipment before his flight and particularly so that he would be attached to Chris and you'll see this in this picture um he's attached pretty tightly um I don't know if I've ever been that close to someone who I just met um (laughs) but he is very close to him and in the end he as you can see with the various straps that are in that picture um he looks very secure right um now, I want you to think for a moment, okay? Again, I'm no, I'm no skydiving expert. I've never done this before. But I just want you to imagine for a second if Chris uh, decided that when given safety equipment, he just said, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I, I, uh, I read the manual. I, I've been watching YouTube videos for, like, the last five years. I'm good with skydiving. Um, I'm just not feeling it today to wear this. Um, I know that you said I, I even signed the waiver, so I'm fine. You know, like it's it's all good. I'm not convinced it's really a good idea. So I'm just kind of going to do what's best in my own interest. Look, I, 
the instructor would either think one of a few different things. One, you're crazy, okay? Um, two, probably going to die. You're not going to make it. So three, uh, you better take this option because that's the only way you're going to survive, okay? We, we chuckle at the idea of someone saying such foolish things, right? We chuckle. Um, teens. Choosing not to take hold of a parachuted instructor is almost equivalent to not taking hold of Christ. Probably worse. It is worse. Laying hold of Christ, the risen Christ. At the end of the day, you you just can't make it. You won't make it. There is no hope. We laugh at a picture like this when someone would not take because we know that that would be silly. Of course, your life's at risk. Why would you not take? Why would you not take the advice of someone who's done this? They, they're the ones who are going to save you. They're the ones who got the parachute. In verses six to nine, Peter is highlighting the genuineness of people's faith. But he is assuming that people who profess to be Christians actually have faith, right? That that those who say they're Christians are not living a life that just, oh, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't actually trust in Jesus. I just like saying I'm a Christian. That That's not, that's not genuine faith. In verse 6, he even says that believers ought to rejoice in the truths. And we, we, we sang that song, rejoice in the truths that are found in verses 3 and 5. Namely, that we have, are, as Christians are being guarded by God's power through faith. But faith is essential, right? Within this context, these believers are going through various trials. And it says that here in verse 6. And we don't know all the specifics of what trials they're going through, right? Maybe it's possibly fear. It could be physical persecution, anxiety, family strife, right? Disease. The list can go on and on, but that's not the point. The point is, these trials, what do they do? What do they, what are they, what are they meant to do, right? Because nothing's ever uh, wasted with God, right? Nothing's ever wasted. And so these trials, according to God's word, is, is, is testing the genuineness of their faith. So again, we first need to acknowledge that faith is essential, but we also need to acknowledge that when you do have faith in Christ, it's going to be met with testing. And so I'm not trying to sell you like, okay, we're going to put Jesus before you, take Jesus, and well, everything's going to be fine, right? Like take a, he takes a hold of you and nothing's going to take him. No, but true faith doesn't merely remain when circumstances are good and safe, right? It would be easy... Okay, if we were just going back to the parachute analogy, right? It'd be easy for Chris to trust the instructor when his feet are on the ground. That's easy. We're not going anywhere. If we're attached, we're good, right? I know we're not. But it's a lot different when he's 10,000 feet up in the air and he's being plumbing to the earth. He is trusting that the dude behind him is going to pull his chute, okay? And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. You guys may be correcting me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's the one controlling the chute. Because he's the expert, and he and Chris wasn't, right? He's trusting him to pull that. I don't know what circumstances they had if, if he couldn't, but for all intents and purposes, for the, the point of this illustration, that's when your faith is, is expressed more fully because you're totally out of control. You're totally out of control. And your dependency is not on yourself anymore, right? Peter says that this trust and faith 
is even more precious than gold. And that, again, like in the context of this particular passage is meant to point us to how valuable that is, right? We don't often look at gold. Maybe maybe we could say money, right? More precious than money, more precious than thousands of hundreds of millions, right? All do- It's more precious. But it's important to remember that faith placed in Jesus also has an end result. So look at verse 7, right? So we rejoice as people are being grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may what? Be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning, when we who are Christians see Jesus face to face one day, right? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be more awesome than me seeing my baby first first time, right? Guarantee it. When we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to be thanking ourselves for how great we were to get in front of him. We're just not. Okay, right? It'd almost be equivalent for Chris skydiving. He gets to the ground and says, man, I was, I was awesome, right? Wasn't I like the way I was controlling things? Like, he's going to look at him like, dude, you kind of just were along for the ride. Like, I did everything. I, I strapped you in. I pulled the chute. I got us safely down, right? It's kind of, that kind of arrogance just doesn't, it doesn't fit because at the end of the day, the only one who would be, that we're going to be thanking is, is God who saved us, the object of our faith, who never let us go. And for that, Peter states that with that what all genuine believers feel toward their Savior is love. Right? I'm not gonna I can't guarantee that Chris hugged his instructor afterwards, but I think he probably at least gave him a handshake to say, Hey, thanks, man, I really appreciate that. But God, through Jesus Christ, has done something more than save you from ten thousand feet of falling. He saved you if you have repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus for eternity in hell. That is a lot more worthy of praise and honor. And so we read in verse 9, 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy that is inexpressible. Teens, be honest, okay? Be honest. Would you say that deep down inside, right? Deep down inside, the deepest part of what your soul is saying is that I love Jesus, right? Is that, is that, not, not that you do that perfectly. We all fall short. We all have shortcomings. God is making us more like Jesus every day but that the true posture of your heart is that joy inexpressible in Christ, that Jesus has died for your sins, and that is awesome. I just had some, sometimes I just have moments, like in the morning. Sometimes it could be just looking upon creation, because that like, reminds me of God often, because he's the one who created it. So if I marvel at creation, he's even more awesome than what I'm looking at. And I just say, I love you, God. Like, I mean, maybe you can relate to me, maybe you can't, but like, I would just encourage you, right? Get into the habit of rejoicing in the Lord for the fact that you're, you have breath in your lungs and you have the opportunity to be alive and the fact that he has not 
for any of your sins, held them against you if you've repented. It's a wonderful thing. So if you have, if, if, if you have repented, if you do rejoice, and it's not perfect, right? We're, we're going to have moments where we don't feel like rejoicing. But remember that in the end, the outcome of your faith, the outcome of that trust in this parachute, if you will, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that your soul is going to be saved on the day of judgment. And if you haven't already, right? And maybe you say, you know, no, Mr. Street, I don't really know if I've, I've repented and put my faith in Jesus. I, I know my parents, again, they keep telling me about Jesus. They keep laying before me the fact that Jesus died for sinners. And if I don't repent, I'm going to be sentenced to hell. I, I would just plead for you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Take hold of him as the only living hope before it's too late. Amen. Okay, I'm, um, I had a childhood friend of mine just, just, just a couple weeks ago died in a terrible car accident, 27 years old. I never really knew him uh, as we got older once I moved away. Uh, he was kind of more of an, uh, an acquaintance, but uh, we used to get mistaken for each other because we, we used to look like each other when we were kids. And I have pictures of him when we had birthday parties at McDonald's. Um, and that was a thing back then. It was a thing to actually have uh, birthday parties at fast food restaurants. And, um, but he was 27 years old. And he, and he was met with a head-on collision and his life ended in an instant. And it made me sad because even though I know there's a time for mourning, and maybe that question isn't something you first asked a grieving parent, but all I kept thinking was, man, is he saved? Yeah. Because yeah. in the end, it's not going to matter what happened in the first 27 years of his life. It's going to be a mess, and he's going to be remembered, but um, life is here, and it's gone tomorrow, teens. Um Sometimes I even think to myself, man, I, I just wish I could have had a conversation with him. Yeah. Well. Just to ensure that he had opportunities to trust Jesus. But, you know, I might not know that, and that's okay. I have to um, trust that in the hands of the Lord, but um, I'll just plead with you teens. Um, you have a, a wonderful opportunity in hearing the gospel from your parents. Um, I know, I'm sure that your parents, um, because their greatest hope for you is to trust in Jesus, that they've gone to the mats with God, just hoping that if you haven't repented already, that you will, or that you would turn to Jesus and you would trust him for the rest of your life, um, and that you would respond with joyful urgency, respond out of joy. If, if fear brings you to the cross, if fear of the fact that, that tomorrow is not guaranteed, then so be it. That the fear of the Lord would be the beginning of knowledge and that revelation of Christ would be given to you and that you would repent. Wonderful. We'll take it. But may it also be also because of joy. May it not be just merely because of duty, but because of delight in Christ while there's still time. So let me pray for us. And then we're going we're gonna to sing to God. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for First Peter and the truth that we get to rejoice in.
the fact that you are a living hope and that you love us so much that you would send Jesus to die. God, I pray that these teens would continue to meditate on these truths. They would not look past them and say, that's for a different time in my life. That's for when I want to get really serious about Jesus. No, let it be now. Let it be, let it be today. Today is the day of salvation. And that you'd be gracious to save any team who has yet to put their faith and trust in you like you yes, saved God. me. Yes, God. And for those who have already, oh God, I pray that you would just use these teens to be influencers, yes, to Lord. spread the living hope yes. of Jesus Christ to their peers, yes, to other adults, to their neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. God, um, may they not let anyone despise them for their youth. They would set an example in conduct and speech and in love and purity. God, that you would give them a bold witness yes, to share. Because God, in the end... Um, Death is respecter of no persons. It will take the youngest and the oldest. And we have the truest and only hope that exists in this life and for the next. So give us courage, God, to go out boldly and trust in you for all things. And we praise the name of Christ. Amen.